Hello and welcome to my very first podcast. I'm sitting in my husband's office at Highclere Castle because I thought he should be my first interviewee. And of course, it's a very strange time that we're sitting here together because instead of the bustling hubbub of lots of visitors and a wonderful Highclere team in the kitchens and banqueting all the guides, there's nobody. It's just Geordie and I, and we are living and surviving like everybody else and working with two or three other people who live on the estate. We're sitting at all the different desks trying to answer emails. Our days have never been so long and the weather has never been so beautiful outside. And it's been a miraculous spring, which I hope in some way gives us a little bit of hope going forwards. And I hope it'll be a miraculous spring next year when we look forward to welcoming many visitors back who sadly couldn't come this year. So I thought I'd start asking Geordie, you, about what it was like when you first came up to see your grandfather here, because whenever I'm a little bit down or feeling a little bit low, I love the stories you share about your grandfather, who was the sixth Earl of Carnarvon. They just make me laugh. He lived through two world wars. He fought through two world wars. He lived life to the full. He was the most enormous fun. And he must have been quite a character to meet as a little boy. So over to you, Geordie. What, what was he like? Well, Fiona Dye, yes, he was, he, he was an, an extraordinary character, my grandfather. I, I, I loved him. He was uh, one of the last of the great uh, people from the Edwardian era, in a, in a, in a way. Of course, he, he, he um, joined up as a soldier very young in World War I. And he was out, out in the Middle East and he had some serious thrills and spills and, and survived that and some great ad- adventures. Always a great raconteur, always telling all sorts of stories, the great ladies' man. But I only really first remember him from when I was quite small, ba- barely sort of eight to ten. And I would go up to Highclere for Christmas Day. And it was all, um, not quite the whole sort of Danton scene, but, but there would have been the wonderful butler, Robert Taylor. Um, um, of course, my, my parents, um, my, my, my um, grandfather's sister, Evelyn, their family. And it was quite a sort of reminiscent idea of, of the Victorian Christmas. And everything was, was, was quite organised around the Great Meal on Christmas Day, probably game shooting on Boxing Day, all sorts of special drinks and, and wonderful food. And my grandfather, he was, a, he was great for his grandchildren. He did, a, he did lo- love children and he was always full of all exciting stories. And actually, I, I visited him through my young life many, many times. As I got older, I used to cycle up to have breakfast with, with him. And he'd say, oh, darling boy, how the most wonderful breakfast for you today. We have rich buttered eggs with, with cream and omelette fins herbs and, and wonderful toast. And everything was always described as if it was the only amazing breakfast in, in the world. And he would, <laughs> and he would probably get, try to persuade me and my brother and sister to really have too much food for our, for our age. But he was a great bon vivant. He, he loved everything about the, the fine and fun thing, things of life. If, if, if there was a, a dinner party and, and he was um, offering lobster, it was specially chosen from the mouth of the Hamble River, which is down on the, <laughs> to the south of us, to the south of, of Hampshire, down, down there. And, and um, every, everything was, was always the, the most glorious of, of, 
of choices and and of course he 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 did he did love life in every way and i, I mean when when he was young and, and and being a survivor of the first war like many others of the time they had an extraordinary time of parties and and fun living and glorious cocktails and things in the 20s mm-hmm. And and when you when you and you've written about that that period when when, when I have. Was with my my <laughs> wonderful, um, beautiful um, grandmother Catherine, who of course came from Virginia in the in the United States. So it was an extraordinary time, and I can see from the records and the diaries that the sixth Earl, your grandfather, really lived life to the highest. I mean, the, apparently the they had he had footmen in the 20s 1920s and 30s you used to whisk your glass away if you'd had one drink and then present another perfectly clean glass with another perfect cocktail in probably high clear castle gin not quite but everything was done to the highest extent wasn't it and he loved entertaining and treating people just like his mother did as well and I gather he had two Labradors, not like our golden ones, but they were black Labradors when they all were. Yes, when I, when I was very young, I, I, I used the head. He had a wonderful cook called, called Ivy, who, who, who was absolutely brilliant in the kitchen. Like Mrs. Patmore, Just, ex- well, exactly like Mrs. Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> but and Ivy was, was was terrific. But the Labradors were, were were called prune and custard and lived in the kitchen. And I'm afraid were given. <laughs> Rather too many of them, also the good things in life, and got to rather a large size. But they were, they were, they were always f- f- fun to be with. And, and Robert Taylor. Um, oh, were you given uh, treats as well? Oh, I was given. Well, I was given all, <laughs> the, all, all sorts of. I, I could go down there, and if they'd been doing cakes, I was given to, to bits of the final bit of the bowl to lick the mixture and all that kind of kind of stuff. Um, and although Robert. Taylor, the very Carson-like butler, was a bit stricter on the young at lunch. And, and if you and if you'd made just too much of a mess around you with bits of toast and other crumbs and all the rest of it, and he was always t- coming along properly and tidy things away onto his silver thing, you'd get your hands smacked if you'd make too much mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or if you had your elbows on the table. Yes, yeah, things like that. You were absolutely meant to be sitting up straight and behaving yourself. How amazing! And I always remember the stories that you tell me about missing his driver as well, and the tremendous arguments. Misson, the driver, used to have with his boss, <laughs> the sick well, girl. Yes, Misson was, 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 was from um, from Northern Ireland and was, was an extraordinary um, character. And and one of the things we used to love as as, as um, younger children was, was that um, he would set up a film show for, for us in in the library. Obviously, it was uh, it was real to real film films then. Uh, um, and he, and he used to say, oh, oh Johnny, it's going to be a film, a film that's going to be set up for you this evening. And, and the great excitement about the films was they were wonderful westerns, like The Magnificent Seven and all that kind of thing. But unfortunately, sometimes, because of the technology as it was, suddenly the film would break and, the th- and it would be burnt and everything would grind to a halt. And then we had to have <laughs> film missing, and we'd have to splice it and stick it all back together again, and then we'd get going again. <laughs> Um, but they were wonderful, wonderful times. All sorts of westerns. My father used used to love that as a genre of the movie. John John Wayne and all his friends. But it's funny because my my own father also loved John Wayne, and there's so many westerns we watched together, particularly because he liked watching them and indeed the Magnificent Seven. So I suppose I don't know the castle the way you did growing up here and. By the time, you know, we'd met and married, you and your father had opened the castle to the public and it was taking on a very different life and form from the world of your of your grandfather, wasn't it? But it was a it having said that, it's brought life and the chance of survival back towards the castle with welcoming and sharing and 
you know, bringing guests from all over the world here now because of Downton Abbey's given us a marketing platform, which is very different, perhaps, from when we when you first started with your father. Yes, I'd probably have to say that the the, the, the last um, ten or so um, years of my grandfather's life, the castle was in a, in a much more, in a way, sort of lockdown mode because by then uh, resources had become really quite. When did he die? Can you mind he when he died? died? He died in, in ni- nineteen eighty seven, and, and we opened up the castle for the first time ever in 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 nineteen eighty eight. But when I used to come and see him in the last ten or twelve years, it was a much quieter affair, and he he had hardly any staff, and some of the building would be a bit dark and forlorn. And of course, once we opened opened the the the, the building up to visitors for the first time, everything began to become alive again, and mm. people began to, to to know about Highclere. And over over the years, we we've done all sorts of indoor and outdoor events and like to become better known. But of course, it's really, as, 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 you, as you absolutely say, the last uh, 10 years since the wonderful success of, um, of Downton Abbey that we have an audience now in millions around the world. People know about the image of the building and, and, and we welcome many people here. Of course, it's a very difficult and challenging and, and, and sad time for people now because we... We can't do that for the time being, but we very much hope we will be able to do so again. Yes, because we are very much people across the door. It's all about being social, enjoying afternoon tea, trying a scone with lots of Rodder's Cornish clotted yummy cream on it, <laughs> having a cup of tea and the things that well, bring us together I, as you people. You and I love, love visiting Cornwall and we go past that wonderful factory where I they know. make that, that yellow thick cream and it's a great thing that we can share a, a wonderful high clear pot of tea with jam and, and the road of cream. But the traditional afternoon tea, which would take us so much back to the time of my grandparents and indeed great-grandparents and when it would have been done like that. And it's so great to be able to, to share that experience with so many people but for, for the moment of course that that is a little bit on hold. I was so lucky Geordie to meet your father and get to know him and love him and be part of his family as well as the family that we've made ourselves. Sadly I didn't meet your grandfather but what do you think they would both have made of Danton Abbey? Well, well both men were, were, were actually of, of a, in a way theatrical nature and, mm. and, and love the, the idea of, 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 of you know, being part of a theatrical world for a moment. My grandfather and his endless telling of stories to groups large and small. And my father actually did quite a bit of amateur uh, theatre just, just after the, the, second, the Second War. So he, he, he would have loved the whole idea and the whole he story. He also had a wonderful voice, singing voice, didn't he? Yes, my, my father uh, did, did quite a bit of singing in, in choirs at, at, at school, yes. He did, yeah. What was the funny story? Was it about where air you walk? I can't remember. He, he used to never join no, in. No, he, 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 he wouldn't come, come in at the right time of, of Bach's wonderful Jesus Joy of Man's Desiring. And if you don't come in at the right time, the organist just goes around in a circle with it. But no, my, 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 my father, uh, yeah, he, had, he had friends on, in, in sometimes in the in the edge of the world of theatre and the rest, and he, he, so did my grandfather, as you as you as, as you know, and and um, they absolutely would have would have adored this this, this whole idea. Really, it, my, my father would have loved it. I'm not sure they'd have been so quietly listening on the sidelines as you and I do, because we're very very good and stay peaceful. And I I have a feeling your grandfather might have given yes. his own comments. My, my, my grandfather <laughs> would, have, would have would have suddenly wanted to be on the on the on the sort of other side of the camera and be part of the whole thing, yes. think, putting in his, his view, but. There we are. He came from a different era. I always think, though, that Highclere, for me, Geordie, acts like an anchor. It gives me a sense of place. And 
funny enough, the, the more I get to know it, the more I think about it, the more I understand and the more I love it and then the more I get to know about it. It sort of goes round in a circle and I think many people possibly think that it is in fact a Victorian or Edwardian castle, but what I love is the fact that there's been a home here for at least 1,200 years. And bizarrely, I studied Anglo-Saxon at university, never thinking there'd be much use for it. I thoroughly enjoyed old languages. And of course, there are five Anglo-Saxon charters relating to Highclere Castle. And the earliest records are 749 AD, which refer to a group of buildings and an estate for that time. So in some ways, there are layers of history, home, family, people who farmed, lived, loved and laughed at Highclere for, for at least 1,200 years. I don't know, but one of my favourite, um, most esteemed characters was a man called William of Wickham, who I think you know I'm passionate about the history and the time that he lived in. He, his dates were 1324, I think, until 1404. So the, the, when Edward III was on the throne, and he was a poor yeoman farmer's son who... Um, became Bishop of Winchester, the second richest man in the country at the time, and he built a palace um, in at Highclere, took, taking the buildings that were there and extending them, creating the monk's garden we love today, shaping the landscape which was later shaped by Brown and your ancestors. And he was he did so much for the local communities, creating education, creating homes, building Winchester College, New College Oxford. He, he built he cut roads. A lot, he cut a lot of oak trees down at Highclere to build he New, did. New College in Oxford, the oldest college in Oxford University. And I think some of the roofs there have still got oaks from Highclere in it. So you go from that time. And of course, which is relevant today, we had the plague sweeping up from Southampton in 1348. Again, people were trying to understand how it's transmitted, how it happened, how to stay safe. And lockdown and today's challenges and virus are in no way comparable with that. But again, it's an unknown um, war that we're unknown enemy in the war that we're in. And I'm sure with the resources today, we'll manage to fight back and make the world a safer place again. But nevertheless, the house, the oak trees, everything has withstood so much over time and then until 1679 when your direct grandfather bought it because it had fallen out of church hands they held it for 800 years so you've got 800 years to make up by the way you've only been here for 350 but from 1679 you know that was your great-grandfather who bought a beautiful red brick place house and then created a more formal 18th century garden around it in the succeeding 50 or 60 years through his son, Robert Herbert. And then, of course, after that, Colonel Henry Herbert, who became the first Earl of Carnarvon, built the Georgian House and the and the Brown Park, um, in which there's a corner of the garden which still exists today. And it became the world that your family then began to inhabit and continue their life in. So do you want to take up the story from the first Earl? The glory of Highclere in a way is, is its long history and, and, and the sense of place you get from being here, going all the way back to when you climb up Beacon Hill and the other side of Sidon Hill. And you oh, actually... I haven't gone nearly that far enough yet. No, no, right. but you see, you see, you see the, 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 the ancient Iron Age fort. So you say there's a wonderful history of human um, habitation at, at, at Highclere. Of course, my, my um, um, ancestor, Robert Herbert, who, who the first Herbert here, who loved to create 
Follies, which we have a challenge with, with today. <laughs> yes. There's about eight of them. It's the wonderful buildings in the landscape, which we've been looking after. Um, but then, of course, the, the, the first... Um, uh, well, my, the early Earls of Carnarvon were great travellers. They, they, really? hum- they were <laughs> great explorers and adventurers, bringing back um, different works of art from, you know, Canaletta's from Italy and the extraordinary leather wallpaper, which is in the saloon. Do you remember? It's the gilded, embossed and painted... From Spain. From Spain, so sorry, from Spain, which is in the saloon from 16... 16- 61 and it creates such a rich textured background so sometimes it's the fabric the actual stones in which the, the glory and the heritage are not just the works of art on the wall and you now the third earl was renowned and in some ways the fourth earl his son who was in politics for 40 years was was more here but nevertheless he had his own yacht and he sailed to australia he went to canada and then his son the fifth earl was again the great adventurer who set sail as soon as he could at the age of 18 again on his own yacht and sailed across to south america and was the one who then um, spent much of his life in Egypt, which culminated in the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb. So you you do come from a line of adventurers and photographers. Yeah, but if we go back to the to the third Earl, he he obviously adored his time in in northern Italy, and he and he and he'd been round mm. the the towns of Tuscany, mm. like like of Lucca, Siena, and the rest. And and so he, when it kept, his idea came to to have an, an a large mansion at Highclere, of course he he commissioned. Charles Barry, who became a Sir Charles Barry, wonderful architect, also of the House of Parliament, but to build this this Italian Gothic mansion he wanted to have created Highclere, and that's what we have today. Yes, I was just reading, actually, some notes from that time in the archives when I was trying to research the gardens, but, of course, got completely waylaid. <laughs> I was reading about um, some of the notes from Mr Gowan to the Third Earl, and he was saying that whilst the Italianate inspiration then then took a more gothic form in terms of the inspiration, the coherence for the castle which you see today. And, and I think the um, Houses of Parliament very much have that theme of gothic medieval architecture, which is why the two buildings bear a resemblance. Luckily, we are much smaller than the Houses of Parliament and they have to um, contend with the River Thames as well, which creates different problems for the foundations and underneath. And we're built on a very high chalk escarpment, which I think led to all the good clean water, which made it a good place to live in the old days. Wasn't it correct, though, that Charles Barry himself, as a young man, really as a travelling student, had been a great sort of draftsman of lots of buildings in Italy? He drew many of them on on postcards and small drawings, which is where he became immersed in the whole idea of Italian design. He did. He travelled all around Italy. And then, to my complete amazement, I found lots of sketches from Egypt as well. He did beautiful sketches of all the lotus flowers and all the pillars and all the columns in Egypt. So I was looking, actually, for things about Howard Carter and the Fifth Earl, and and then, as usual, was completely waylaid and found all these sketches by Barry of the columns and the detail. But that was part of the learning and the structure. Perhaps today it's done more on computer. But I think that use of hand and drawing and writing is so important. And thank goodness we have some, never never the entirety, but some windows through handwriting, which sort of show what sort of people they were too in the nature, I can't read your handwriting of course, but in the nature of the people who wrote the letters and the ledgers. I'm not sure what 
archives, our generation will leave Geordie actually. So yes, who's going to bother? Well, the electronic us? world is 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 different. People, it's, it's quite. You have to really make an effort to organise it into a coherent plan so it can be looked at in the future. But whatever, those wonderful people of the past have, have left us this glorious legacy, both in the building and and in the vision of landscape. You know, Robert Robert Herbert, and then the first first Earl. Uh, around Bertie Brown in the in the later part of the 1700s and Robert Herbert's ideas beforehand, they had such vision because they didn't see the what we see today. They they had the ideas for the trees and the plantings and the wonderful use of the cedars of Lebanon that we so love today, but they never really saw the final product. So we must really uh, give them a great uh, vote of thanks for their imagination and persistence of great works in the past don't you think I completely agree I love the cedars I can spend hours looking up at them and the extraordinary network which is above our heads you know they're supposed to be associated with God and God's trees and they're mentioned in the Bible and I think Tutankhamun's coffin was actually also made from a cedar of Lebanon and funny enough, today, of course, the cedar on the lawns to the south-west of the castle is called um, Lady Mary's Bench because that's where the fictional world of Downton Abbey meets Highclere Castle. And there were many scenes set from Downton Abbey on that particular bench. And in the film as well, I think it was where there was a scene when Branson came across one of the cast members in feeling rather tearful and upset and consoled her. And there were some charming scenes... Downton Abbey was mainly filmed inside because they started in February and went to July. And by July, they were filming Christmas, which was more inside than outside, given the given what was outside. But it, was, um, it did form the backdrop. And sometimes they used to pretend that Maggie Smith's garden, which was really here, was somewhere else for her dower house. But it has become a muddle, the outside and the inside, and whether it's fictional or real, and whether it's a set for Downton Abbey, whether we are Downton Abbey. But that's been a wonderful muddle, which I hope will help the castle sustain and survive and welcome visitors to continue to come here in the future. And um, the film, when the I think when the credits were going up and everybody first saw the golden castle come up we were sitting in new york at the premiere out there which we'd we've been kindly well, those asked are those to. wonderful drone shots over the early autumn weren't they on some wonderful weather they were and everybody clapped and cheered <laughs> it was so strange i was looking around at the audience thinking wow they're clapping and cheering and the cast member they're clapping and cheering is cyclo castle so we've been very lucky and i hope that the optimism and the sense of the world apart will also help lead us out of this locked up and locked down situation that we're all in and we'll again be able to offer small tours and the reassurance and peace of the gardens to people visiting towards the summer and the autumn. Absolutely we really we, we really do pray that, that um, we can all overcome this and, and welcome people back here to Highclere and, and all its wondrous scenery in the future absolutely in the meantime i think podcasts and radio i love radio are such a great way forward so we can pick up the different stories i thought i would talk to paul the gardener and i also like to talk to pat withers pat's decorated in the castle for some 60 years and There's i think nothing she doesn't know about the place <laughs> i know she's full of the most hilarious stories i'd also like to pick up with les taylor Les is now our, one of our more senior employees and when he's allowed out, um, or perhaps I can do it remotely because he's now 94 and going strong. 
and is desirous of of resuming some of his activities because that's what living is about it's not just being alive it's about living isn't it and having life so I hope Heitler can again offer that to many visitors and guests. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being my first interviewee, my darling. (laughs) Great. Have you enjoyed yourself? Very much. It's great to be able to share some of Heitler's history with everyone. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. And I look forward to you joining us for the next podcast too. Thank you. And just to say, please do subscribe to this podcast. Then you can be first on the list every time it comes out.